When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Our coverage continues now with Allison Camerata. Hi, Allison. Oh, I'll be back here tomorrow night, Casey, watching. <laughs> Great we'll show. We'll see each other. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> Thanks so much. Good evening, everyone. This is CNN Tonight. I'm Allison Camerata. The Supreme Court says Donald Trump's tax returns must be turned over to Congress. This is something the former president has been fighting for years. He took his fight all the way to the Supreme Court, and today they ruled against him. So when might we see what's in his taxes? Our experts will get into that. And that's just one of the legal issues hanging around Trump that seems to be accelerating. But turnaround is fair play. And the Republicans are planning a smorgasbord of their own investigations that we will lay out for you. Plus, new information on the investigation into the Colorado Springs LGBTQ nightclub shooting. We have disturbing new details about the suspect's teenage years. And if you've ever played out in your own head what you would do in an active shooter situation, you're not alone. One of our guests tonight says it's time to rethink the advice to run, hide, fight. We'll find out what she says to do. But let's start with Donald Trump's taxes. Here with me are CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honig, former Senator Al Franken, and former Congressman Joe Walsh. Great to have all of you here. Ellie, this is something he's been fighting for years. I mean, since 2015, when Donald Trump first was running for president, he promised he was going to turn over his taxes and show them to the American public. And he never did it. He claimed he was being audited. We have no idea. (laughs) And now what did the Supreme Court decide and on what grounds today? Well, the Supreme Court said you're out of luck and those tax returns have to go over to the House Ways and Means Committee. And this in many ways is the typical Donald Trump legal battle. Here's why. He got wiped out at every level of federal courts, started in the district court, lost there. District court says tax returns go over. Then he went to the court of appeals. Three judges, three to zero, says Trump, you lose. Congress, you win. Then he tried to get the whole D.C. circuit to take the case. They said, no, thank you. So still, he hasn't got a single judge. And then he tried to get to the Supreme Court. And today they issued a two sentence ruling saying, nope, we're good. Not a single dissenter. So he loses at every level. Yet, as you said, Allison, What does he get? Delay. Here we are. This legal battle in particular has been going on for over two years. But doesn't it have to happen now? I mean, now the IRS has to turn it over, right? Yes, they have to turn it over. Of course, we're 40-some days, though, from Congress flipping over to the House. I do want to say this, though. If you look at the law that the House Ways and Means Committee used to get these tax returns, it also says they have to keep individual tax returns, even of a former president, confidential. So we should not expect to see them unless they are leaked contrary to that law. Oh, that's interesting, because I was wondering when the American public would be able to see them. What could possibly be in there that he doesn't want us to see? (laughs) Oh, he's a criminal. (laughs) You know, you know, um, you know, when he said if I uh, I could stand on Fifth Avenue and uh, shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any votes, he might have been right about that, but he would have been prosecuted for shooting someone. He's going to be prosecuted. He's going to be held accountable. Jack Smith is going, we we have a special prosecutor. He's going to be prosecuted. So those are different things. I mean, obviously, that's for the January 6th investigation, as well as the holding of the classified documents. And he's going to be, uh, Georgia, 
I mean, how how criminal is that? Let, let's uh, pull this up. I need you to find me 11,780 on tape. votes. Line and them up. It, on tape. Line them and up, if Allison. you don't. There are so many. Let's pull them up just so that everybody can keep track. So here are the investigations <laughs> that Donald Trump is involved in right now, what he's being investigated for. You were alluding to it, Senator. So there's everything from the Manhattan DA, the Trump Organization, the House Ways and Means Tax Probe, <clears throat> the Georgia election interference, as you were saying, the January 6th committee, of course. The DOJ is also looking into January 6th and whether he instigated the riot. DOJ, the classified documents that he hoarded at Mar-a-Lago, the New York Attorney General, the fraud <laughs> lawsuit. So there's a lot that he's looking at. And you're saying, Senator, that he will be held accountable for something. Oh, God, yeah. The only thing worse than uh, prosecuting him is not prosecuting him. He's going to be prosecuted. He has to. Uh, yeah. The senator's right. He has to. He better be. But, Allison, here's the danger. They've been going after him, rightly, uh, on so many fronts for so long, his voters now believe he's the most persecuted president, probably the most persecuted American in American history. So the scary thing is all of these investigations and an indictment or two coming down the road weirdly might strengthen him with his Republican base. With his base. And I hear what you're saying. I remember when he was found with all of the classified and top secret documents at Mar-a-Lago. And he said something to the effect of, if they can do this to me, just think yeah. what they can do to you. Yes, if I had classified documents at my house, they would also do that to me. I found that logic to be so but funny. You're right. But Allison, Republicans rallied around him after that Mar-a-Lago raid. Just crazy. And, and I should say, we could be heading for a really unique moment in American history where you can have an active candidate, a leading candidate yeah. perhaps for president, who is under indictment. I mean, there is a very real chance he's indicted by Fulton County, by the special prosecutor. And, and I want to say, people assume sometimes if you're indicted, that means you're knocked out. Oh, no, it does not. It, you can be convicted of most crimes and still run for president. So we could have but a... Which one of those that we just put up there do you think will come to fruition? I think the two that are most likely. I think Fulton County has been given all indications that they're moving very aggressively and that they intend to indict. Meaning the election interference in Georgia. Yes. Yep. And then the second thing is, if we're looking at special counsel Jack Smith, I think they're more likely to indict on the Mar-a-Lago documents. So we could see even two investigations. Again, who knows? But here's the thing to keep in mind. Indictment is up to the prosecutor. Yes, you go to a grand jury, but prosecutors can get grand juries to indict whoever they want for the most part. There Ham is sandwich. truth to that. Ham sandwich. There is some truth to that. But indictment is just the start. And, and you asked the question before, is there going to be accountability? Depends what you consider accountability. Indictment, I think that's increasingly likely to happen. Conviction is going to be very well, complicated. Well, just adjudication, I think, that people would consider justice. Adjudication for something. Ellie, it's better than nothing, be, as the senator said. Will there be any accountability for January 6th? In your mind, I mean, Donald well, Trump incited and led yeah. a violent attempt to overthrow an American election. I think Fulton County is increasingly likely to charge that. Whether DOJ does, mm. especially if Fulton County has charged, if you're sitting there at DOJ, you may say, well, they've got that piece. Uh, we'll do the documents piece. There's a lot of moving parts. Can I talk about what Joe said, which is, yeah, uh, maybe it'll whip up his supporters. But his, this last election, the American people said, stop it. Stop it. They said to the, all the deniers in key races lost. Uh, Donald Trump, you know, maybe he'll get the nomination. Who knows? Because, you know, all you need are 30 percent in primaries if there's a big field. Yeah. That, that basically started what started him in 16. Um, but I there. It's not, I don't know if it's a majority of the Republican Party. Maybe it is. No, I hear what you're saying. And if voters said stop the chaos, then let's go to the next point, which is all of the investigations that 
Republicans are planning when they take back control of the House in January. So I'll just tick through these. They want to know the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm glad this is amusing to you, Senator. Um, They want to know, uh, Kevin McCarthy wants to know about China and investigate their theft of um, intellectual property, the conduct of health officials during COVID-19, including Anthony Fauci, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, which was, you know, a disaster. January 6th committee, situation at the southern border, the FBI, the IRS, they want to try to impeach um, Secretary Mayorkas, uh, Depart- Education Department officials, and Hunter Biden. Okay, Senator, go. What do you think of all of this? <laughs> well, I'd start with Hunter Biden because, as I said, I think the American people said stop it. But these the Republicans are full of crazies or uh, people who are just chicken. And I and McCarthy is, I think, in the latter group. And, yeah, they'll do Hunter Biden and the American people. They'll do exactly what the American people don't want them to do. Some of those are, are legit. things that are legit and should you should look at. But, you know, Jim Jordan leading the Judiciary Committee in the House. This seems funnier now that you're out of Congress, I assume. This seems more amusing to you. Jim no, Allison, Al, Al, Al's right. Uh, my former party has been overtaken by crazies. Kevin McCarthy may be speaker, probably, but Marjorie Taylor Greene will be the de facto speaker, period. For real? For real. How will she be the speaker? She will have such sway over him. I mean, look at what they've been emphasizing already. They're leading with all this crazy stuff. Why? Because McCarthy has to have Marjorie Taylor Greene and the rest of her crazies all lined up. Because otherwise she'll tweet something? I mean, what's the downside? Why can't he alienate Marjorie Taylor Greene? Because he doesn't want her to be the face of the party for the next two years. And if she doesn't get what she wants, Allison, she will become the face and of the Joe, party. And Joe, one of the things... How long will he be speaker is the question. Yeah, she, She's been talking about the I-word, impeachment, right? Yes. And another, I mean, she's already drafted impeachment. Yeah. They're talking about Secretary Mayorkas. They're talking about the Attorney General Merrick Garland. They're talking about Joe Biden. Now, I'm interested to see what you think if they'll do that. But I do want to say this, little little legal wrinkle here. You certainly can impeach a president, a vice president, or what the Constitution calls civil officers. It's actually not clear under law that you can constitutionally impeach a secretary. A cabinet. It's only happened once, Secretary of War in the 1870s and not since. So they may be barking up the wrong tree if they go. But Mayorkas is going to be their first target, I yeah. think. Yeah. You agree? You think they're going to go Well, that, that's what they're saying out loud, but... I don't know. Because they can focus on the border, the border, the border. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much. Stick around. Great conversation. We have to talk about this. The Colorado Springs suspect is behind bars tonight, and we're getting new accounts from survivors. But I'm sure that many of us have wondered what we would do in a horrifying situation like that. Our next security expert says the old run, hide, fight advice may be outdated. The first court hearing is set for tomorrow for the suspect in the deadly mass shooting at the Colorado Springs LGBTQ nightclub. Five people were killed and at least 19 injured in Saturday night's attack. Police say the carnage could have been much worse if not for the bravery of two people who took down the attacker. Ever since mass shootings have become our way of life, the conventional advice for people caught in the middle is to run and get out. If you cannot do that, try to hide. And only after that fails... Try to fight back. But CNN's national security analyst, Juliet Kayyem, has a new piece in The Atlantic saying it may be time to rethink that strategy. And Juliet joins me now. 
Julia, great to see you. I read your uh, piece with great interest. So if not um, run, hide, fight, what? What's what's the solution? Well, look, fighting was always the last resort. I think that I think we just have to be honest about the evidence. And I just want to start with the beginning. We shouldn't be in in a rational society. We would not be having this conversation. How do you survive uh, an AR attack uh, in a confined area is essentially the conversation that we're having. But if you're going to judge success by do fewer people die, the evidence is starting to show uh, that. Uh, engagement with the killer, if you if you can't get out, because in these confined spaces you often can't, uh, can decrease the harm. We've seen it at, at great peril to the per- to the person or people who are doing it, as we've seen in Colorado and as we've seen in other instances. So why does this matter? Uh, because the run, hide, fight logo or the the slogan, everything people in my field believed in, came out of 1999. It it existed before, but really Columbine. And that lesson was um, the kids should get out or they should hide. But what happened when they hid uh, in the the library was that was where all the kids uh, were killed. Two decades later, go to the Pulse nightclub. Uh, when the when they died, uh, most of the people who died who were killed uh, were killed in uh, the bathroom because they tried to hide there. And so, if running's not an option, it's not entirely clear hiding is a good option uh, because of two realities: these mass shootings are happening uh, more frequently, and people are getting killed too quickly with this weaponry. And yeah. I want to be clear here. That the statistics from the FBI, as I wrote in the piece, are 70% of mass shootings end uh, before the police can arrive, and 31% of them end um, after two minutes. I think that's what basically what happened in Colorado. But, Juliet, obviously it can't just be a one-size-fits-all piece of advice because yeah. I'm not Richard Fierro. I mean, Richard Fierro yeah. was a 15-year veteran. He's a big guy, and he has that kind of medal where he yeah. ran towards the guy with the weapon of war. I, five foot three Allison, can curl yeah. into a very tight ball, very small. <laughs> and I, I right. can hide, hide more easily than Richard Fierro. And so it's just hard for, I mean, first of all, like you say, I can't believe we're have, we have to have it's this conversation. It's an absurd conversation. But we do have know, to have this just, conversation because it's gone through all of our heads. And so isn't it just, you know, whatever you are capable of doing, Yes, it's, it's, it's both. It's, so what I, you know, what's the alternative, right, is that it's both situational and personal. Uh, uh, and so, you know, in these instances where, you know, you have a, for, a former vet who happens to be there, but, you know, but, you know, thank God, uh, is, is willing to go forward. We've seen other instances where uh, 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 members of the public uh, who are, don't have that kind of training uh, are able to disarm or, or basically what we call it is you take the fight to the shooter. In other words, if you're able to distract them, what you're trying to do is buy time. That is what these guns have not given us. They do not give the victims time uh, to run and they do not give law enforcement time to come in. I am, as you know, been on the show all, uh, many times about you know, the capacity of these guns to kill quickly has changed uh, everything because you, you, the best law enforcement response, forget the Uvaldi's, the best law enforcement response is still going to take uh, a minute or two. And I have to address something that's out there in response to this. There's very minimal evidence that arming more people, uh, a good guy with a gun, uh, makes us safer. Uh, there are instances, and people like me have to be honest about those instances. In Indiana Mall earlier this year, there was a, a, a gunman who, who killed a potential mass shooter. 
but it is not that more guns are the solution. If that were the case, we'd be the safest country on earth. It is just that this is going to be situational now, especially in instances where the running is difficult. Such a great point. There was an armed guard in Buffalo, you know, at the supermarket. Yeah. There was an armed guard at uh, Parkland. Uh, you know, we've I mean, obviously there were cops all over Uvalde. And so it just yeah. it, it just does uh, show the um, illogic of that notion. Um, Julia Kime, thank you very much. Really provocative piece. Uh, thank I, you. I appreciate Happy Thanksgiving. You too. So. Attorneys for the accused shooter, Anderson Lee Aldrich, say in new court filings tonight that the suspect now identifies as non-binary. In a footnote to a motion asserting legal privileges, the public defenders say, quote, Anderson Aldrich is non-binary. They use they, them pronouns. And for the purposes of all formal filings will be addressed as Mix Aldrich. So in other words, not Mr. or Ms. Joining me now, CNN political commentator Errol Lewis, also back with me, Al Franken and Joe Walsh. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, that's not anything that we had heard from his background. You know, people have been looking into his background. And uh, I don't know if anybody here, are you guys lawyers? I no. mean, you know, I don't know if, the, I, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, th- it, that's what he's now saying. It, it sounds like they're trying to prepare a defense against a hate crimes charge. That's the least of his problems, legally speaking. But it looks like they're trying to build some kind of sympathy or at least confusion on the question of whether or not this was purely motivated by hate. Such a, I mean, that is what it sounds like. We'll wait to see. Um, back to that conversation that I was just having with Juliet. Uh, have you thought about that? I mean, have you had to think about what would I do in an active shooter situation? Well, we all have to. And that's the, 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 the great tragedy of this situation we find ourselves in. As these gentlemen know, uh, we've been stuck legislatively on trying to get any kind of progress or serious solution to this. And what this does is it, it leaves uh, the rest of us in a situation where we're going backwards in time. And by backwards in time, I mean back to the 17th century when, you know, Thomas Hobbes writes Leviathan and is talking about a war of all against all. And the whole point of government is to make it so that we're not all forced to sort of fight for our lives at any given moment. But that's where we are heading. Make no mistake about it. And it's, it's an outrageous situation that we find ourselves in. We haven't been able to legislate our way out of it. Frankly, you know, I mean... It, it, Run, hide, or fight really applies politically. You can't run from this question. You can't hide from your responsibilities as a citizen or as a voter. Uh, and it is time to fight back. But, Allison, what's so frustrating about this incident is, legislatively, there was a law on the books, doggone it. The red, they the, had the a red, red flag, flag law, law yeah. and it wasn't enforced. That county, El Paso County, Colorado... The, pol- the law enforcement in that county has basically publicly said they're not going to enforce the red flag laws. That's right. And also, furthermore, Joe, it relies on the parents. It relies on the family saying, yes, I'll press charges against my son. We saw this in the Highland Park shooter as well. Often mothers don't want to do that. And so then police leave. And th- that is a loophole that we need to figure out in red flag laws. We, we've seen an uptick, and I don't know about this this uh, person and the shooter and his situation, but there's been an uptick in hate crimes and there's been an uptick in hate in Republican politics. Uh, You know, don't say gay legislation. All that does is isolate people, vulnerable kids who are already isolated. We've seen an uptick in anti-Semitic Violence in uh, anti-Asian, in in anti-LGBT uh, Q, and it is exploiting hate 
for political purposes to get power. And it's um, very dangerous. And this is, I think, part of, again, what American people want to want to stop. Wanna... I mean, and obviously everybody wants to stop mass shootings, but it's there's somehow we've just accepted now that this is a part of our lives, that this is a part of our lives, and somehow we're all sitting ducks. So our kids have to have active shooter trainings in their classrooms from the time they're in first grade, and we all have to figure out, okay, should we run or hide or fight? Because, you know, every single week we report on a matter. Well, they are a fact of life. They need to be minimized. This guy should not have had a gun. My God, there was a bomb threat a year before against his mom. Uh, uh, The law enforcement could have then taken his guns away. I, I want can't. to believe that. I mean, I hope that, I, I want to believe that. What we had been told is that it has to be adjudicated. You know, he has to have been like convicted or something. I think that's separate from the red flag law. Um, I hope law you're enforce- right. Yeah. I, I just, why do we have assault weapons? Why, there's no reason for assault weapons. There's no reason to have them. It's insane. And the number of mass shootings, again, has, has gone up significantly. There's no reason at all. There's no one needs an assault weapon. No one needs it to go hunting. But, I mean, you know as well as anybody how hard it is in Congress to fight that. Yeah. And, and it, when it, once the assault weapons ban lapsed, then it never got back, and you never were able to pull it together again. And what, they, what the gun industry did was just make more effective assault weapons. So they made the... the, the Sandy Hook was a Bushmaster that was designed to kill people in close quarters. Absolutely. Uh, and so, I mean, it's, um, it's sick. It is sick. But, you know, they that the Biden administration touts that they've had the first bipartisan gun legislation in 30 years. But I'm not sure that it gets to the heart of the it doesn't. Matter. It doesn't. I mean, and look, the, the 110th Congress, like the, the several before it, made a little bit of progress, uh, but not much and not enough. I would predict broadly that the 116th or the 118th Congress, when some of these kids who have been brought up with these shooter drills and bulletproof backpacks and all of the garbage that we have accepted as normal, uh, when they get an opportunity, when they get into politics, when they get their hands on the levers of power, uh, when they've got a a, a trail of stories from Parkland all the way back to Columbine, I think they're going to get rid of all of this stuff. I don't think other other congresses have achieved anything. Uh, I know... When I was there after Sandy, uh, after Sandy Hook, it was amazing that we couldn't get background checks. Americans want background checks. And poll after poll. Poll after poll shows a, a, a huge majority of that's people. an area where both sides can, should, can and should come together in a nanosecond. And it's amazing they can. Uh, amazing. Um, gentlemen, thank you very much. Okay, to, we will now talk about sports because you all know how good I am at this. It's a World Cup full of off-the-pitch controversies. And now there's all kinds of on-the-pitch drama, too. So we're going to explain one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history. Next. The excitement is growing for the U.S. versus England this Friday in the World Cup. Even with the controversies surrounding the games, fans are still showing up. So what do we all need to know about the World Cup? Obviously, I could tell you. But I've decided to call in John Berman to explain it to all of us from the matches to the controversies. Berman? Allison, so there are really two things going on at this World Cup. First, where it is. It is in Qatar or 
Qatar. Having been there, I can tell you you can say it either way. The issue with Qatar, number one, is how it treats its migrant workers, the guest workers, the people who built all these brand new stadiums where all the events are happening there. They have been severely criticized, the nation has, for the treatment of these guest workers, that they live in suboptimal conditions and they just don't have the rights of everyday citizens. So there's that in Qatar. Then there's also the human rights record in that country. You no doubt have heard the controversy over whether or not people can wear armbands there. Uh, Gay rights basically non-existent in that country, more or less outlawed to be gay. You cannot be gay in Qatar Legally, and that's a real problem for a lot of the athletes competing there and a lot of the fans competing there. Our friend Grant Wall, a reporter who does terrific work in soccer, he was detained for a time yesterday because he went to one of the stadiums wearing a rainbow T-shirt. So that's all going on. And yes, they're not serving alcohol, even though they had said they would. They're not serving alcohol at or around the games either. That seems minor compared to the human rights issues and the gay rights issues. So there's all that. All that is because of where FIFA, the world governing body for soccer, decided to have the World Cup. Then there's the soccer. Now, a lot of people, by the way, don't think you can get beyond the first part to even think about the soccer. But for those who want to pay attention to the soccer, it is one of the great sporting events every four years in the world. This time around, there are 32 teams. 32 countries have teams there. They are grouped into eight separate groups. We are now in what is called the group stage. What happens is each term team in each group plays every other team, and the top two teams advance to the next stage. So right now, it's a round robin. You get three points for winning. You get one point for tying a game. You get zero points for losing. Again, the top two teams advance, which, by the way is why today it was so extraordinary that Argentina, which is considered one of the best teams in the world, not to mention the best team in Group C here, that Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia. That's one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history. It also throws this group into disarray. A lot of people just assumed it would be Argentina and maybe Mexico or Poland advancing to the next stage. Now that's very much in jeopardy. Also, by the way, It has to do with what happened to the United States. You can see the U.S. right here tying Wales yesterday. Why is that a problem? Well, because everyone thinks England's the best team in the group. And unless the USA beat Wales, no one thinks or a lot of people don't think they would have the points to go on to the next stage. But we'll see. We just don't know yet. That's why they play the games. This, by the way, is the U.S. team. This picture taken before the game against Wales. Enough of them are smiling here. I'm not sure they would have been smiling after the game because the 1-1 tie, largely a disappointment for them. You can see the next games for the U.S. team. The big one is Friday at 2 p.m. against England, one of the best teams in the world. I will say the United States beat England in the revolution. So there is a history of beating England at stuff. So maybe that will be repeated here. But most people don't expect the U.S. to win this game. That would make the game against Iran an absolute must win if the U.S. has any chance of advancing to the next round. And for soccer fans like me, we've been waiting for this for eight years. The U.S. did not qualify for the World Cup four years ago. So for eight years, we have been waiting for this. And now we basically have two games. By by Monday at 2 p.m., we will know whether our dreams have come true or whether or not they're simply shattered. 
Allison. All right, back with me now, Errol Lewis, Al Franken, and suddenly John Berman. How did you get here so fast? Fleet of foot. Well, wow. <laughs> that was great, John. You made us all smarter. That wasn't just a sports lesson. It was a history lesson, which I appreciate. But you didn't answer the most important question. Which player was Shakira's boyfriend? Oh, uh, he Piquet, who yes. played for Where's uh, he? Spain, but he's not on the team. Oh, he's not? This time around. Oh, then I'm suddenly not interested in any of this. No, I'm sorry about that. But you did tell me Catherine Zeta. Catherine Zeta-Jones is Welsh. Okay. A lot of people, a lot of, <laughs> Wales is confusing to a lot of people <laughs> because it's part of the United Kingdom, but it plays as its own country in the World Cup. So I often tell people who are trying to understand Wales, Catherine Zeta-Jones, it helps. It, it, it helped helps. me a lot. Yeah. Um, Senator, are you following this with rapt attention? No. No, you're not. I, uh, I, it's a great sport. No. <laughs> I, it, it is. It's the world, a uh, very, very popular sport yeah, in the, yeah. in the uh, I feel world. It. I feel what you're saying. I played soccer in high school. You should I, like it then. I should. We were terrible. We were, I mean, it, it, this is, I, it, it, I graduated high school in 1969. We did not know how to play soccer in 1969 <laughs> in America. How did you play it? We, I just kicked this. I was a fullback, which is defense. I just kicked it as far as I could. <laughs> Every time I just kicked it as far as I could. And look where you are now. <laughs> look where, and look yeah, where well, you are now. Yeah, look where I am now. Um, Errol, <laughs> um, forgetting the sport aspect of this for a moment, in terms of the controversies, has it been worth it to have it in Qatar? I, mean, I, th- I think so, just from why? an educational standpoint. I mean, listen, you, you, you come to appreciate your freedoms when you see other people who don't have them. So when you find out, you know, layer after layer that there's no freedom of speech, if you criticize the government, you can be in prison. There's no freedom of religion. You are not allowed to practice your religion except in a designated area in Qatar. Um, there's, you know, you, you're not allowed to, uh, to come in with alcohol or pork. You can't bring it into the country. Um, it's, it's a pretty rough place. It's a pretty uh, uh, sort of a, a, a old school, if you want to call it that, or pre-modern almost, frankly, as far as the Sharia law. Um, the, and all the, the enormous restrictions. restrictions that we're seeing play out here. Conversion therapy, um, floggings. I mean, it's a pretty brutal system to, to somebody uh, who, who's uh, familiar with how the freedoms that we take for granted in this country. And so for that reason alone, it's really interesting to see how other people are living. Um, does that mean we should have not gone there to play? Does it mean that people should shun this nation? Well, when you start seeing the other countries out there that also have these kind of restrictions, it makes you realize that the, the, the freedoms that we take for granted are really, really important. Leave it to Errol to give us the silver lining on all of this. And I really appreciate that. I think that's true. It has all come to the fore. We've been talking about it now for a week in a way that we wouldn't have been. Look, and like Cutter spent a lot of money to get the World Cup there because it wanted it to be its coming out party on the world stage. And they may be getting the opposite of what they were after. The treatment of foreign workers there is just, uh, that's an undertold story. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's something that people are, Grant Wall, again, our friend who was over there doing reporting, did a whole expose on this where he talked to them undercover. It's really shocking. It's really shocking. The Really, hundreds of thousands of workers brought in to do the work and how they're treated. And what about the corruption? For FIFA, well, how did they choose Qatar? Well, there have been all kinds of reports on this. It, it, you know, it's, it's the money. I mean, there, there, were, there were accusations of flat-out bribery in some cases to get these World Cups. This one is in Qatar four years ago. It, it was in Russia. Yeah. So not not a great record when it comes to things like, you know. Next one in the U.S. The U.S. U.S. Which hopefully will be vastly different. Yes, all right. It was after everything was exposed is when the U.S. one was awarded. All right. Thank you for the lesson. Really interesting. Nice to see you all. You too. All right. The Supreme Court says the House can get Donald Trump's tax returns. But at a time when everything is so polarized, 
How much faith should Americans have in the Supreme Court? We talk about that next. The Supreme Court is in the news tonight after granting Congress access to Donald Trump's taxes. And the court's also the subject of one of Al Franken's podcast episodes. So let's talk about it. So, um, Al, you are talking about the legitimacy of the court on your podcast with uh, Dahlia Lithwick, who writes about the Supreme Court for Slate. And what's the gist of what we're about to hear? I think this is a conversation about when Clarence Thomas, after Alito did the Dobbs decision, in his concurrence, uh, said that we should also revisit uh, Griswold, which is uh, 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 birth control, and uh, Lawrence, yeah. and Obergefell. So same-sex marriage, uh, privacy, and, and sex. He didn't do loving. I think that's what we talk about, obviously. Um, I think we joked about it. Dahlia is, uh, writes about the Supreme Court for Slate, and she's brilliant, and I always have her on when we talk about the Supreme Court. Okay, let's listen. You know, I mean, I noticed that Clarence Thomas uh, said the silent part out loud. Um, gee, <laughs> this uh, this decision uh, opens up uh, uh, Griswold. It also wouldn't it uh, loving versus Virginia, right? Well, this was a tiny bit of a like Twitter freak out because everybody thought he was using it to get out of his own uh, interracial marriage. And I think that's not quite correct. Well, she's in trouble. The other case, she is in trouble. It would it would solve the problem. So he could of, say, yeah, not legal. It was not legal. <laughs> the problem of Ginny. I think that he explicitly named the three cases he said that are on the table are uh, Obergefell, which is marriage equality, mm -hmm. Lawrence v. Texas, which is the um, same-sex intimacy, the anti-sodomy law in Texas, and uh, Griswold, which is contraception, the right to use contraception in your marriage. He didn't name Loving. Well, Brett Kavanaugh, like, rings his hands in his concurrence and is like, oh, nobody worry. Nobody's coming for marriage equality. Nobody's coming to reinstate the Texas anti-sodomy laws. And of course... Well, uh, <laughs> you know, stare decisis is so important. I remember him saying that in his hearing. Well, I think that the tell is when they tell you we're not coming for the next thing, you should know that they're coming for it. That's chilling. So what's your conclusion about where we are with the Supreme, where the Supreme Court is now? Well, um, I think it's an illegitimate court. I was there when they didn't take up Merrick Garland. And when they didn't, remember when they didn't take him up, they said, oh, it's an election year. <laughs> and... Uh, and they said they said it was some kind of precedent. It wasn't. That never happened before. And then, of course, uh, you know, four years later, when we we have uh, Coney Barrett, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies in in late September, they write they, and and Coney Barrett is sworn in like eight days. And that's before. what makes it illegitimate. Yes, that's two stolen seats, in, in my mind. And uh, you know, and they've changed their. They lie about it all the time. This is kind of what they do. That's what it was. Is McConnell said, "Well, there's already been some votes cast in New Hampshire." Remember, he said that. And then, <laughs> and then marveling at your impression, yes. Well, and then um, Coney Barrett, boom. Yeah. And you remember Lindsey Graham saying, like, uh, if a seat comes open in 2020, yes. I will 
We will not take up a nominee, and you can keep the tape. Yeah. Remember when they said that? I remember it. I mean, I remember all those machinations, but in terms of the decisions they're making, um, obviously they overturned Roe versus Wade, but then they do something like allow Donald Trump's taxes to be um, seen by Congress, and then that makes people think, okay, maybe they're not all Trump appointees and... Okay, I mean, but that that kind of was a no-brainer, and um, it, it's it's more about fulfilling this conservative, fundamentalist, Christian kind of agenda, and that's why Trump won the election in '16 when he said, "I'm going to let the Federalist Society pick the yeah, uh, pick the pick justices," nominees, yeah. and that's exactly what he did. John, I, I'm curious what you think the fix is, though, if, if for people who agree with you. Um, when you bring this up, how would you now fix it? Is it is it packing the court? Is it term limits for the justices? Do you think any of those are actually within reach? No. Uh, I mean, the term limits is a elegant solution, I think, which is given 18-year term limits. Every president gets the point two. Um, but uh, if you did that, that would be a slow walk to <laughs> correcting uh, the the illegitimacy uh, of the court right now. Now, uh, it, no, there is another way to go, which is if it turns out if we can prove that Alito leaked these things, his own opinion, and he leaked Hobby Lobby, which is uh, someone is accusing him of, maybe we could get rid of him. That'd be fun. It's interesting that uh, even bringing up these kind of questions, I think, does affect the justices. They act as if they're, you know, completely removed. They don't care what any of us think. That's why they have lifetime tenure. Uh, but the reality is they do care what the public thinks. They don't want to be seen as uh, a bunch of partisan hacks. They've, uh, that, they've that's why that. Coney Barrett went to the McConnell Center to make the speech about how they're not partisan. Well, that's right. I mean, and... and, and <laughs> well, the Democrats have gone to the McConnell Center also, yeah. including Joe Biden's gone to the McConnell but Center. But why go to the McConnell Center when you're making the point that we're not partisan? When he seated her nine days before uh, the election, yeah. and and but, on on the principle you can't have a, uh, have a you can't yes, have a, no, a nominating right. hearing for for a Garland right the double standard was glaring but but, but is your point that it does affect them and that they then rein themselves they don't want to be seen that way and so they self police no, I mean the, the the point being people should speak out if you want to go in march you want to write a letter you want to complain you want to get on television and say we we think you're illegitimate i think people should absolutely do that they have where to where can know, i do that they have to know, <laughs> yeah. they have to know oh. where where their limits are and that the public is watching what they do and that things like some of the the questions that have been raised about Ginny Thomas uh, justice thomas's wife uh, and her involvement in politics and what she might have done in and around January 6th. Those are perfectly legitimate questions. If they want to sort of uh, play this aggressive kind of conservative legal politics, they should expect some pushback. You know what? They should also stop doing their jobs in secret. They should put cameras maybe in the Supreme Court so the American people can see what's going on like in that. there and then make up their own minds about what's happening. That's a great idea. John, you knew the solution. You were just baiting everybody. You already so had a solution asking. suggested. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for all of that. There's a big development in a story that we brought you last week. Three employees of the sheriff's office in Camden County, Georgia, have been arrested in connection with the beating of a detainee while in custody. So we're going to explain the latest for you next.
New developments tonight in a story that we've been following. Three employees of the Camden County, Georgia Sheriff's Office have been arrested and charged with felonies in connection with the beating of a detainee while in custody. You may have seen this very disturbing video of Sheriff's Office employees attacking 41-year-old Jarrett Hobbs in his cell. We warn you, this is hard to watch. The first video provided to CNN by Hobbs's attorney, Harry Daniels, shows the men entering and beating Hobbs and wrestling him to the ground. In the second video released by his attorneys, the men are seen dragging Hobbs out of the cell where the beating continues. It's not clear what preceded these two videos. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation says their investigation is ongoing and they will determine if the two other employees that you see in that video will also be charged. Well, the community of Colorado Springs devastated over the mass shooting at that LGBTQ nightclub and wondering if more could have been done to stop it. So I'll speak with a friend of Kelly Loving. She was one of the victims, and this friend spoke with Kelly just moments before the attack. New developments tonight in the Colorado Springs nightclub shooting investigation. The suspect is in jail after being released from the hospital and is scheduled to appear in court tomorrow. The community, of course, is in mourning for five people killed at Club Q, a longtime place of celebration and a safe haven for the LGBTQ community. Investigators say the suspect had previously been charged with felony menacing after allegedly making a bomb threat last year. Those charges were later dropped and the records sealed. When asked about a possible motive, the El Paso County District Attorney telling CNN this earlier tonight. So we're definitely looking at um, Colorado has bias motivated crime statutes, which most people understand as hate crimes. We are definitely looking at that based on the facts involved in this case that are very well known in the, in the community now. Uh, and so we'll definitely look at that. And if there's evidence to charge it, we absolutely will charge those as well. We're also learning more about the heroes who brought down the shooter, the Navy identifying the man who was injured as he helped push the gun away from the shooter. That man was Thomas James, an information systems technician, petty officer, second class. The Navy saying, quote, James is currently in stable condition and we remain hopeful that he will make a full recovery. A survivor identifying a still unnamed trans woman who kicked the shooter in the head with her heels and... Army vet Richard Fierro, who was one of the guys who brought down the suspect, speaking out about that night. I lost my kid's boyfriend. I tried. I tried to have everybody in there. I still feel bad that there's five people. There's five people that didn't come home. And this guy, this guy, I told him while I was eating him, I said, I'm going to kill you, man, because you tried to kill my friends. My family was in there. I want to bring in now a friend of Kelly Loving, who was killed in the shooting. Natalie Bingham joins me now. Natalie, thank you so much for being here. I'm so sorry about your friend. Um, Our condolences to you. And I understand that you were on the phone with Kelly moments before she went into the club? Yes, that is correct. Um, We were on FaceTime exactly 10 minutes before um, the police were dispatched of an active shooter. Um, And I was only on FaceTime with her for five minutes. It started at 11.48 p.m. 
and ended at 11.53 p.m. And what was that call like? um, That call was one of the most beautiful calls that I'll ever cherish for the rest of my life, knowing that my friend felt beautiful in who she was and what she looked like that night. Um, Kelly was a very um, not outgoing person to the club at all. Um, So it was nice to see her break out of her comfort zone and um, try something new and go above and beyond and go alone. She refuses to go to places alone. And it was so nice to see her so confident and so beautiful because this woman is a warrior in the trans community. She's um, more of like a trans mother for me. She is the woman who gave me the confidence I am today. Is that right? That's beautiful, Natalie. But so I also understand that you were um, going to celebrate. You had just celebrated her 40th birthday, but you were going to be spending Thanksgiving together. Yes, that is correct. Her 40th birthday was on November 16th. Um, She was in Colorado Springs for just the weekend. Um, And then she was going to spend the rest of the holiday week with myself and a couple friends at my house. And now we have one less person at our table this holiday. That's going to be really hard. Thanksgiving is going to be really hard. And Natalie, I also understand that you have this incredibly sort of tragic parallel with a club shooting in your life. You were at the Pulse nightclub right before, and as I understand it, you left that night before the shooting there. Yes, that is correct. I left about an hour before um, the active shooter at Pulse was um, doing that. And I wasn't feeling well. And by the grace of God, I left an hour early. I had five friends pass away that night. And I moved to Colorado to escape that, um, that fear of an active shooter again. And it's tragic that it happened in what I consider home now. Allie, that's awful. I'm so sorry to hear that. That's awful that you had five friends killed that night and now you've had a friend killed in this mass shooting. How do you make sense of that in your head? Um, Now, with it hitting even more home, um, being like a mother figure to me, I am going to get the justice Kelly deserves. This woman um, can't speak for herself anymore. So I'm going to go above and beyond to make sure that the suspect is put behind bars for life and also the gun control. Um, I believe the red flag law was overlooked and the police should have took his weapons away last year um, during his little bomb threat appearance with his mother. But in terms of the threats that are being Um, leveled against the LGBTQ community. How is this changing your life? Um, It's changing my life in the aspect that I'm going to be more cautious in open events. How good is the security? How well is the security? Am I going to be going to big open sporting events? I'm not going to live in fear because that's not going to take away my freedom. But I'm definitely going to be more cautious because 
being a trans woman in this day and age, it seems like it's happening more and more frequent and you just have to live with caution, but that doesn't take away from me going out and living my life day to day. Natalie, when we started the show, we just got, we got a little bit of news earlier that the attorneys for the shooter um, are now saying that the shooter is non-binary and the the shooter uh, would like to use the pronouns they, them, and this is for the court in all court papers. And that's what um, Anderson Aldrich's attorneys are saying. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think that's um, complete ludicrous. <laughs> um, I believe they're just saying that because they want to have um, the easy way out on this. Um, that's really, really um, offending, especially being a transgender woman myself, that a male, which it was obvious with the mugshot, that's a man, that's not a non-binary person because in no way, shape or form could they appear as a woman the next day. Um, it's really offensive to even hear that, that they're playing that role. Um, and if they're non-binary, why would you go after the club where you feel safe at? Why would you do that to a community where you are welcomed in if you are non-binary? Excellent question. Obviously, all of this will have to be answered. Um, Natalie, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it, and our condolences to you. Thank you. Thank you. Now I want to bring in presidential historian Douglas Brinkley, author of the new book, Silent Spring Revolution. We also have CNN legal analyst Joey Jackson and Vanity Fair special correspondent Molly Jean-Fast. Great to have all of you guys, but just a horrible topic. And Doug, I mean, this is such a sign of our times. This is what we live in. She's been connected to two mass shootings in clubs. I mean, it's becoming not omnipresent, but a few degrees separate, you know, separate for many, many people. Well, you know, our only LGBTQ National Historic Park is Stonewall in New York City. And that happened in the late 60s, 70s, because um, back then gay people would congregate at one spot. In those days, the police would come in or others would just beat and kill people that were different. Um, Now, thank goodness, we're able to teach uh, LGBTQ history in our schools. But that congregation point put some of these nightclubs as a bullseye, like the Pulse in Florida, like Club Q in Colorado Springs. So what do we do about that? It's going to take a lot more layers of security. This never should have happened, though. When you have somebody loaded up like that who did bomb threats a year before and now is wandering around with guns and ammo, I do think this uh, was a red flag law missed. And we're going to have to have increased security. But uh, but we know one thing about brave LGBTQ community, that they're not giving up. They're going to fight for their lifestyle, that they've it's been too many decades to get equality in this country. And then also, Allison, look around the world at how much bigotry there is in countries where if you're um, different, you're not allowed to uh, even speak up or you'll be killed in the World Cup right now. Um, Joey, a lot to talk to you about. Obviously, what good are red flag laws if if they can't if they don't keep guns out of this shooter's hands? And we see this all the time. I mean, 
there's just too many loopholes. It's not working. Yeah, it's a problem, Allison, for the following reason. Obviously, you have the laws so that police can act in a way that's not against your constitutional rights. We talk about this Second Amendment with people hold dear, and they should. But the reality is, is that if there's something amiss with you, these red flag laws give the opportunity of law enforcement to take them away, even on a temporary basis, until the issue is resolved. Here, we had uh, an issue that he had showing up, right, to his mom's house, apparently with a bomb, uh, having a gun. Obviously, right, that should have been enacted, the red flag laws to take him away. Now, the question would remain, would he have gotten him back? Would he have had the weapons at this time? Would he have been able to do it? But I think the larger issue is that if you have a law, you have to enforce it. You have to do something about it. And it has to deter other people not to do this. One more thing, Joy, just because this is what the lawyers announced. So they, we just got the word that na- from now on in court documents and in court that this suspect Uh, is non-binary or considers himself non-binary and would like to go by they, them pronouns, which you heard um, our last guest uh, finds that to be um, questionable. And and convenient. Uh, Look, the the reality is, is that perhaps that's the case. Perhaps it's not, right? As we move forward, we'll learn more. I know we're learning as to issues in the past and the bullying and the name change. Could that be a sneaky attorney move? It it, it could be, but like anything else, Allison, it has to have basis. You can say anything, but... Ultimately, when you weigh it out and you evaluate the background, the history, the circumstances, those facts will determine whether this is just a ploy or whether or not it's credible. Um, Molly, one more thing. We've also learned today that this suspect, as uh, seven years ago in 2015, was the target of online bullying. And apparently there was a parody website set up that made fun of his looks uh, and that made fun of him not having money. His his grandmother was trying to raise money for him publicly to go on a class trip, and they were mocking him for it. No surprise. I mean, we have seen this before. People who feel alienated and publicly humiliated sometimes resort to things like this. I mean, that's true, but then it was sort of the job for him not to get an AR-15, right? I mean, that's, you know, a lot of people are bullied when they're young, and they don't kill, you know, five people. And I think that ultimately this was like a failure of gun laws, right? And that he didn't, there was a red flag law. They didn't pursue it because it was a sanctuary city for the Second Amendment, which is, you know, kind of nuts. And then I also think that ultimately, you know, he had he had shown violence towards his mother. And a lot of these people have, you know, kind of misogyny and domestic violence. And, you know, so many of these things can be stopped if people, you know, if these things are taken seriously. So I do think that there were a lot of opportunities to stop this person. But I would also say you are seeing a Republican Party that is targeting, you know, a lot of drag queens and LGBTQ. And this is not an accident, right? There's a lot of targeting and there's a lot of, you know, really, I mean, and it's the moment now where we all need to stand with the LGBT community and be for them. And, you know, they need to be safe just like the rest of us. Friends, thank you very much. Really appreciate all of your perspective. So it's been more than a week and there are no suspects identified no arrests in the brutal stabbing of those four college students in Idaho. But there are some new developments tonight. We have that for you next.
Police in Idaho claim they're making progress in their investigation into the murders of four University of Idaho students more than a week ago. They say they've investigated hundreds of leads and interviewed more than 90 people. But so far, no arrest has been made. And police say they cannot share details of the case for fear of compromising the investigation. We're back again with Joey Jackson, and we're also joined by Neil Franklin, a former Maryland state police officer, and Mary Ellen O'Toole, a retired FBI profiler. Great to have all of you. Um, So, Neil, uh, they're a small, relatively small police department. They haven't had a murder in that town in seven years. They are not, obviously well-versed in a murder like this. What's the first thing that they should have done? Or what are you seeing in terms of opportunities missed here? Well, so like you said, small police department, I think they have around 36 members in their police department. Um, You also spoke to the lack of experience from the lack, a good thing, lack of homicides in their city, but not just their city, in the entire county. For the past couple of years, there haven't been any homicides. So one of the first things they should have done, recognizing that they may not have the talent that they need and the skill sets that that they need with their investigators, is to reach out to a larger police department. You know, maybe Boise, maybe a larger city that has dealt with homicides, maybe the state police. I think even the FBI, if you ask the FBI, I think they would even lend a hand. Obviously, they wouldn't take over the case but they would give you some resources if you need them because a lot of legwork needs to be done. A lot of interviews need to be done. And uh, one of the very first things, put your pride aside and ask for help. Hmm. Mary Ellen, we've been talking about the um, mindset, mentality of this killer. And you say it's very high risk behavior, what this killer did. So what do you mean by that? Well, the offender goes into an occupied building when there are people there sleeping. There's at least one male. Um, This offender could have been overcome. Um, He wouldn't necessarily know if if, um, these um, victims had guns themselves, weapons themselves. He just wouldn't have necessarily had all the information about what's going on inside that house. Although I do think that based on what I've heard so far that he's probably had experience at least inside that house. But when you go inside of somebody's home in the middle of the night, when people are in the house and, and a you dog, commit a major- by the way. Yes, I mean, it's very high risk, but we know that there are offenders out there who add that high risk element to their crimes, even though it seems very stupid from our vantage point, the reason they do it is it makes the crime more enjoyable. But to be able to do that suggests to me that this offender or offenders has prior experience being in people's homes. Hmm. Um, Joey, I think that's a critical part of his personality. Uh, that is interesting. So Joey, how is this crime gonna be solved? I think a number of ways. I think the first thing they'll do is they'll look at the timeline, right, with respect to where they, where everyone was at the time, right, the people who were un, the unfortunate uh, uh, decedents in this particular case. I think they'll track that down to specifically when they got home, what they did when they got home. Surveillance, remember, is a very big thing, Allison, relating to where you are. They were seen prior to that at some uh, a food place uh, getting food. I think there'll be significant DNA evidence that's at the location. I think that's going to be very helpful to the police. Remember, there's prints and everything else, not only uh, DNA, but uh, fingerprints. There are footprints. There 
are other things that they'll do. I think they'll continue with their interviews. And I think it's not too late to bring in the FBI. It's not too late to deal with the state police. And it's not too late to continue the interviews with other people who know whether there was a motivation, what happened, and whether, as the mayor said, it was a crime of passion, Allison, or something else. Mary Ellen, not to get too grisly, but um, you also think that this will be solved through DNA because to stab four people is such a bloody crime scene, and it does leave, as you were describing, evidence from the killer at the crime scene. It would. Um, The offender was not evidence conscious. Uh, They would have left a lot of, of evidence at the scene. But in particular, when you stab someone, blood is slippery, and your hand can slip down over the braid, uh, over the blade. And when that happens, you cut yourself. And when that happens, you bleed. And that goes on the carpet. It goes on the bed. So they will be collecting all of that and doing an analysis in order to determine if the offender's DNA is, is left at the scene. This is going to, going to be a forensic case. But when you're not evidence conscious, you don't go back in and attempt to clean up. There's going to be a lot of evidence for them to analyze. Neil, it's just amazing that they haven't been able to, I think, put the, the pieces together yet. If this is a repeat offender, and I'm not sure how you kill four people for the first time if you haven't done any violence before, how, they don't, how they're not already connecting some of the DNA. Well, you know, what you just said about repeat offender. Um, so one of the things that again, takes a lot of manpower and man hours is to start checking the, the records of people, checking those that you have in your area who may, who may have histories of um, such violence. And uh, again, collecting that DNA, you got to have the resources to do that. You can't screw this up. You know, so you got to protect the scene. I understand that a lot of that some people were came over to uh, the house before the police got there. So you really have to do a good job. You got to have the right techs on the scene. You got to have the right resources. You got to have the right labs. And you can't screw this up. You've got to do it as soon as possible. You don't want to lose any evidence. But there should, as, as Marion said, there's going to be a lot of DNA there from both the victims and hopefully from uh, the suspect. Yeah, let's hope that they can um, connect those dots very quickly. Uh, Mary Ellen, Neil, Joey, thank you all very much. Now to this, today is the 59th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Nearly six decades later, why are thousands of documents about his murder still being withheld from the American public? We're going to get some answers next. Fifty-nine years ago today, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated as he rode in a motorcade through Dealey Plaza in downtown Dallas. But decades after that national tragedy, documents about the assassination are still locked away, spawning countless conspiracy theories. Douglas Brinkley, Joey Jackson, and Molly Jongfast are all back with us. Douglas, why haven't... So there's 10,000 documents that are either withheld entirely or partially redacted that have not been released. Why haven't they been released yet? Well, in 1992, we created the John F. Kennedy you know, Assassination Commission. They should all be released by now. It was mandated that it would be, but it is up to presidential discretion. And Donald Trump, when he ran for president, made a big deal that, remember when he tried to frame Ted Cruz for being part of- His dad. Jeff, yeah, his dad, and, and that, that we're going to open up everything. And alas, Trump didn't open up everything. And by the way, he, when he was president, also <clears throat> promised, which makes it even more strange. Here is a tweet from 
October 21st, 2017. He says, subject to the receipt of further information, I will be allowing as president the long blocked and classified JFK files to be opened. Six days later, he says JFK files are carefully uh, are being carefully released. In the end, there will be great transparency. It is my hope to get just about everything to the public, exclamation point. The next day, he agreed not to release the records. Something happened. It what did. happened in he that got, day? He got heat from the CIA, FBI, and uh, DEA. There's a battle going on in our U.S. government, no matter who's president, between National Archives, which is saying open this stuff up for yeah. transparency, and presidents who don't want to be at war with CIA. But what doesn't the CIA want us to see? They claim that they don't want us to see who agents are, where sources are abroad. Supposedly, some are still alive. Uh, it kind of is hard to believe this many decades later. That would be their stance, but they don't want to out people. And you don't want to be, no, any city president doesn't want to war with their own CIA. And hence, Biden now, by December 15th, has a deadline that he's going to have to decide whether he's opening up the rest. He might do another batch, but I'm sure there's going to be thousands of pages that we don't see. And all it does, as you know, is fuel conspiracy theories galore. I don't blame conspiracy theorists on this one. I'm turning into one, Molly, because why does every president say I'm going to do it and then not do it after the CIA gets to them? I mean, I think there's something in there. Well, that's a problem. That's why they need to be released. And look, JFK has been, you know, he's sort of the birth of this QAnon movement was sort of based on a lot of anxiety and conspiracy theories and a lack of information. So the more that these, the government can release, the better for all of us, especially right now. But I do think that it's clearly there's some kind of internal war going on in the government. I mean, listen, Allison, if you have Trump in accord with Biden on this issue. <laughs> you have to ask some questions. <laughs> you do have to ask <laughs> yeah. many questions. And so there has to be something perhaps in the neighborhood of national security, which would prevent it. Doug, you mentioned the CIA, right? Central Intelligence Agency, the FBI, the, the uh, Drug Enforcement, whatever it is, obviously there's information that is mission critical that they don't want to give us. And if they do, Allison, there are these redactions, you know, when they black out portions. So I'm wondering if they do release it, whether it would be so overly redacted as to not even really tell much of anything. Right, it would be redactulous. And there's a fear of Lee Harvey Oswald that he may have been on the CIA payroll at some point in previous times. So the idea of there's been a demand to let's see what Oswald's taxes and things are, and that's a big no that CIA, FBI want nothing to do with releasing this these this new Oswald information that scholars of this assassination think are, are being hidden from the American public. But I mean, in, in your stellar historian mind, is there any way that there is a different narrative about this than what we've been told? And that's why they don't want to release it. Well, the FBI st- is still um, in, in CIA, but really FBI is worried about um, gangsters, right. you know, and looking at mob, um, the way that they create sources with uh, to get mob leaders. So there's that concern. And when you get FBI and CIA who don't like each other a whole lot, <laughs> agreeing don't release all of this JFK material, it would be incendiary. What will someday maybe happen is you'll get just so redacted that documents come out just black and, and you know, a magic markered out so nobody can read for history. It's frustrating for people trying to get closure. And even the whole Warren Commission files that was supposed to be our big public, not released. Do you think that Joe Biden is going to release them, Molly? I, I, 
I, I would be I think it's unlikely, especially because there's also, I think, a lot of anxiety that there's some connection to organized crime or that there are organized crime informants that would be re- revealed. And so I think that there's a worry that there is just going to open a lot of a lot more problems for these security agencies. Well, we would all love to see it. Um, thank you all very much. OK, now to this travel expected to surge for Thanksgiving, of course, after the pandemic put a damper on things, you could say, for the last two years. So will more people around the dinner table mean more fights with your angry uncle? How to handle holiday arguments? We have the four tips for you next. Millions of Americans are already traveling for the Thanksgiving holidays, but storm systems could end up causing headaches for many of us. Karen McGinnis is live in the CNN Weather Center for us. So, Karen, what should we all expect for Thanksgiving? Yes, we've got a lot on our plate. No pun intended. But yes, there is a weather system that's pushing in across the Pacific Northwest. This is going to merge with another system across the South Central U.S. So a lot of people are going to be impacted by this. It looks like Salt Lake City and Denver. Uh, It'll be a little windy, maybe reduced visibility thanks to the snowfall there. And it looks like late into the next couple of days, we could see a Santa Ana event. All right. I talked about kind of gathering some strength across the South Central U.S. as a weather system kind of gets its act together and lots of cold air on the backside of this. Well, that area of low pressure with this accompanying frontal system is going to produce some icy mix across the panhandle of Texas, also extending over to places in eastern sections of New Mexico. So Amarillo, Midland, Odessa, also into Roswell. This is where we could see the messy weather. And we're not finished yet, because guess what? As you're trying to make your way back home, then it becomes a northeast in New England. But in the meantime, Thanksgiving Day looks like a pretty nice forecast in New York City. Temperatures in the 50s. Doesn't look like wind is going to be a problem there as well. For Dallas, some rainfall expected there. For Houston, about 73. Denver, you're going to be cold and just about 40 degrees. Los Angeles, Los Angeles, 75. That sounds pretty nice. And for Atlanta, a few clouds here and there and 62. Allison. Okay, fantastic. Karen, thank you very much. I want to bring back our panel. We have Doug Brinkley, Joey Jackson, and Molly Jean-Fast. How excited are we for Thanksgiving, guys? <laughs> are you guys excited? Because I really am. I really am, yeah, too. Not- because did you put it on hold for two years? We did, and now we're having people come over. We're really excited for it all. And I've been traveling on a book tour, so I can't wait to get on the plane tomorrow. I've heard that the airlines are operating pretty well right now, better than ever. So I get home and then let the party begin. That's so great. I feel the yeah. same way. I love Thanksgiving. I love the meal. I love that whole day. The gathering. It's yeah, just what beautiful. are you doing for Thanksgiving? I, I will be at my brother's house. It'll be a festive occasion. It'll be unbelievable. And uh, I want to answer the question about the arguments around okay, the Okay, okay, I've got that. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, uh, oh, here we go. I'm going to tell you what to do. Um, okay, so Molly, will there be arguments around your table? No. No, because you guys all feel the same way. Mm, Fantastic. Yes. Okay, but if there was, I would humor my relatives. Because, you would? Yeah. I think- oh, that's, I'm so interested to hear that because that's one of the things that you're supposed to do. Yeah. And so here's, here's according to Axios, holiday disagreements, how to disagree at the dinner table. Because now everybody's going to be back after two years and... Donald Trump's running for president again, so there may be some arguments. So, number one, a little humility goes a long way, which I think is also akin to what you're saying. Be sort of self, 
deprecating or in, in, uh, inject humor somehow. Yeah, or agree to disagree. You know, we can feel differently, but have a very nice Thanksgiving. Anyway. Molly, that's very interesting that you say that, because that's number two, agree to, <laughs> di- agree to disagree from the story. But I don't understand. Explain to me how you do that, because it's all well and good until somebody drops some, like, mistruth bomb on the table and they're like you know it was antifa and then you're like well agree to disagree no you can't you know well i think the idea is that you're probably not going to change hearts and minds and there are some people you might but a lot of people you won't and so with those people who you know are really dug in you can just say you know we can agree that this was not antifa or we could agree that you think it was and i know facts and, uh, you know, go from there. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> I think we've had such a national food fight, neo-civil war, what you want to call it. Give it a break. If you have young kids there, let them see that the grown-ups can be civil and put that stuff aside. It could be picked up on Friday and Saturday, but on Thanksgiving while you're eating and it's a blessing, and we're thinking about our beautiful country, we need to think about our troops abroad, uh, make, be in a more prayerful, spiritual, and fun mood than getting back into this uh, nasty slugfest that we're, we're living in our political landscape. Totally so, agree. So Obviously, gratitude goes a long way. Yes. I have a better for. Oh. My better for is, as I do, yes, dear, you're absolutely right. <laughs> totally. A hundred percent. And it's over. That's, that's all right. That's, there we go. That's happy wife, happy so, life. Yes, that's well, a different but, motto. But I convert it, right, to just the table in general. A hundred percent. You're absolutely right. God bless you. It's over. You've all given us great <laughs> advice. Uh, thank you very much. Have a great Thanksgiving, guys. Back and catch. we will be right back. We have breaking news out of Virginia tonight, and I am sorry to have to report that law enforcement in Chesapeake, Virginia, is responding to a shooting at a Walmart. As of now, we are told there are multiple fatalities and injuries. Chesapeake police, the public information officer there, Leo Kaczynski, has just told uh, CNN that there are multiple fatalities and that they are still going through the building at Walmart. Uh, we are still joined by Juliet Kayyem, Neil Franklin, and Joey Jackson. Um, well, Joey, here we are again. Um, here we go again. There's nothing. Uh, it's impossible to be surprised anymore um, when we have to report on a mass shooting, but it's still just as sickening, of course, as we uh, prepare for the Thanksgiving week. And also, Allison, I'm so tired of saying it's on the heels of and on the heels of and on the heels of something else that happened. We just saw even, you know, with the three young men and the football players in Virginia that just happened uh, recently. Uh, You know, what do you say about this? And if you talked about the issue of gun control, goodness forbid, uh, that's not something we should ever address. Uh, There's just something that we have to get our arms around as it relates to these mass shootings. Something is amiss. I don't know whether it's people, whether it's the angriness, whether it's the climate, but I'm just so tired of talking about it and nothing being done about it so that we can talk about it again and again and again. We all feel that way. Whether it's, as you say, uh, a college, whether it's at UVA, whether it's a church, Juliet, whether it's a synagogue, yeah. whether it's a Walmart or a supermarket or a nightclub or a school, we talk about it every week. Yeah. I'm, I was on an hour ago on a different one. I mean, you know, going to bed and when it, when this happens. Uh, so uh, we, this is still active. Walmarts, as we know, I think this is a super a Walmart are huge. So we actually don't know likely what the number is. Uh, We don't know if it's someone who worked there or someone who entered. 
but uh, multiple fatalities and then others injured. Uh, it, you know, this is a, clearly a, 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 a mass shooting event, uh, yet another one. And uh, and we just simply don't know, you know, if the motive was internal because of people knew each other or an external threat. And so we'll get the information now and the police will probably have a, unfortunately, a larger number than even the one that we're hearing, just given the size of these Walmarts. This is consistent with what we were talking about earlier, that each of these situations is different. People's capacity to respond is so limited uh, if you can leave the Walmart, leave the Walmart, but we just don't know what's happening inside either a particular room or the area. And again, you know, we, we can't say it enough that this is, these are not rational conversations to be having in a country that should be able to solve a problem like this. Neil, I mean, we just don't have that many details right now, but it sounds bad. Um, again, we're just yeah. hearing from law enforcement in Chesapeake, Virginia, that there's a Walmart. I mean, there was a shooting at a Walmart Tuesday night. I mean, I, I, you know, look, people are shopping. You know, it's, it's close to midnight, obviously, on the East Coast, but we don't know exactly what time this happened, but they are reporting multiple fatalities. Yeah, Allison, and, and again, two days before Thanksgiving, we know people were out shopping. This is a huge Walmart. I'm very familiar with Chesapeake, Virginia. It's a heavily populated area. You have a lot of military personnel there. It's in the Norfolk area. And, you know, I assume, I don't know for sure, but I assume that there were a lot of people in this Walmart. So it's going to take a while for the police to go through this entire store. Unfortunately, I think there are going to be a lot of injuries. Uh, We already know there's some fatalities. Um, But as Joey said, here we go again on the heels of another. And we have to do something. We just can't complain about it. When I say we, I'm talking about our, our, our legislators. I'm talking about Congress. They've got to do something. We need action. We need something of substance. I mean, we all agree. We all agree and we all agree every time. And yet something always gets in the way, Joey, of them taking really significant action in terms of how to stop this. I don't know what the solution is, but I know that I I feel your fatigue. I feel all the viewers' fatigue in terms of how many. I mean, we've just accepted that this is our normal way of living here. I I hate to say it, but that's what it seems like, Allison, when you have mass events like this and you laid it out, right, all the venues that it occurs and what happens. It just continues to happen. And then you have the parties get together and they say, we're going to do something and never mind, things don't get done. And so I just don't know what the answer is. I wish I did know, but it just seems, you know, so random and so repeated. And how how do we get our hands around this? How do we prevent it? How do we do something about it so that another person is not dead or multiple people are not dead? If you're just joining us again, we do have breaking news. Law enforcement in Chesapeake, Virginia, is responding to a shooting at a Walmart. As of now, we're told there are multiple fatalities. We don't know an exact number and injuries. And this comes from the Chesapeake uh, public information officer. Obviously, we'll bring you more when we get it. Juliet, I'm out of questions. I don't I don't know what more we can say, as you and I have talked about so often. Yeah. So and 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 unfortunately, we are in the middle of this where we, we want to be super careful about the reporting uh, uh, right now. But what we do know is that the primary focus right now is family unification. As we've all been saying, it is the shopping Tuesday night before people uh, uh, really start uh, cooking tomorrow. Um, it's a, a late night uh, 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 open store. 
and so there are lots of people there whose family members do not know where they are. So, so I hate you know I hate to be tactical about this and not as emotional as we as we all are. But right now, it's going to be fo- the focus is right now on family unification to because uh, you're going to have to identify who the victims are and then notify the family. So we are looking at a couple of hours into the night um, uh, 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 until we know exactly. Uh, uh, how many, uh, and that the the people who who survived uh, can can meet up with their families, mm. and those who did not have to be identified. We're we're talking moments. This has been happening, so yeah. the identification of the victims is primary at this stage. Um, Neil, uh, Juliet, Joey, um, yeah. it's awful to think about this uh, two days before Thanksgiving. I appreciate being with you guys. You. Obviously, we will stay on this. CNN is staying on this breaking news. We will bring you all the new developments. We're going to take a quick break while we continue to gather our reporting on what's happening tonight at this Walmart that you now see on your screen in Chesapeake, Virginia. Our live coverage of this breaking news will pick up in just a moment. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.